0: So I'm a big family of traditions, especially family traditions and Christmas traditions. And I don't know if you have those traditions where you live, but we definitely do where we live. But one of the traditions that we just added back a few years ago when we moved to Waterford was the Christmas Eve service. And the church where I was before I actually had a Christmas Eve service, but we were always traveling on Christmas Eve, so we never attended that service. In fact, I wasn't responsible for planning the service. It was just kind of weird, so every year I'd come back and say, well, how'd it go? And uh, if it went bad, I missed it, so, it, you know, it was, it, it was okay. But we go to the new, uh, the Christmas Eve service now, and then we go home, and we kind of half-watch, it's a wonderful life. Right? Because we've seen it Many times now. Now maybe you guys do that too, but if you've never seen the movie you might want to close your eyes right or close your eyes. Close your ears right now, because I'm gonna give you how the movie works. It goes like this. George Bailey is the big hero in town and he helps out all the people with his savings and loan, but they have to make a bank payment and, and he gives it to Uncle Billy, and Uncle Billy takes it to the bank and somehow manages to lose the money and it ends up in Mr. Cotter's hand, and Mr. Cotter's a mean guy. And everything goes crazy wrong and George despairs and he finally goes to the edge of town to the bridge there and he's just about to do whatever when clarence the christmas angel shows up and the next scene goes something like this yeah so you still think killing yourself would make everyone feel happier right eh? oh i don't know i guess you're right I suppose it'd been better if i'd never been born at all what'd you say i said i wish i'd never been born Oh, you mustn't say things like that. You Wait a minute. Wait a minute. That's an idea. What do you think? Yeah, that'll do it. All right. You've got your wish. You've never been bored. You don't have to make all that fuss about... Looks familiar, doesn't it? But maybe you can relate to George a little bit this Christmas season. Maybe you haven't said yet, I wish that I haven't been born. But maybe you've looked at what's going on in your life, and you felt a little bit depressed and despondent. And maybe it's not horrible, but you're still struggling because maybe you can't make a payment Or maybe somebody really has been out to get you and is giving you a hard time. Or maybe you're just completely overwhelmed right now and the to-do list just keeps getting longer and longer and longer. Or maybe you just need a little space, a little breathing room, and the pressures and the people and the noise and the confusion and the frustration and the stress just keeps loading up on top of you. Maybe somebody's taking advantage of you. maybe one of your kids is sick. Maybe one of your kids away from you is going through a hard time right now. But you look at your life and you think, you know, this just isn't all that fun right now. And everybody could talk about Merry Christmas and joy to the world and happy holidays, but that doesn't really describe my story. In fact, I'm not one of the three that's happy. I'm one of, or I'm one of those two of the three that's not very happy who doesn't have very much joy in life. But the Christmas story tells us what? The angels came and they said to the shepherds, I have good news of great joy that's supposed to be for all the people. And the angels also told us where to find that joy. Just over the next hillside, in that stable, in a manger, you'll find a baby who is the Savior and who is Christ the Lord. And we're given the instruction and we're given the hope at the same time to find joy in Christmas. You know, the weird thing about that movie, uh, if you watch It's a Wonderful Life, it's considered a Christmas movie, I guess, because it takes place on Christmas Eve in Bedford Falls. But it's really not that Christmassy if you watch it. I mean, they, the, the one kid plays Hark the Herald Angels Sing about 18,000 times in the middle of the movie. And, you know, they have the tree at the end where the little bell rings, so we know that Clarence got his, his wings. But really, the the plot of the story doesn't really depend on Christmas a whole lot. But here's what it does. It gives us an idea of what Christmas is all about, and it actually gives us a biblical idea of what Christmas is all about as well. See, according to the movie and according to the Bible, Christmas is about being human. Christmas is about being human. And if the angels came and said, joy to the world, Christ is born, so the angels said that Christmas is about joy, then we could take those two thoughts together and say, you know what? There must be a certain amount of joy that's supposed to come in being human. So if you're here this morning and your joy level is low, there's good news. You have the potential to experience great joy And that potential is not only found in Christmas, it's actually found in the fact that you are sitting here this morning as a human. And I think all of us qualify. So let's look at John's version of the Christmas story today. And let's look at how being a human can actually add joy into our story here at Christmas. John chapter 1, we're going to start reading in verse number 11. And there's several different accounts of the of the uh, Christmas story in the Bible. But this is John's. In verse number 11, he said, He came, talking about Jesus, He came to what was His own, but His own did not receive Him. Yet to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. And then this next verse is where we're going to really land this morning. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And out of the full, out of his fullness we have all received grace after grace after grace. But that phrase in verse number 14 is where we really want to lock in this morning. The Word became flesh, or Jesus became human. And that's the essence of Christmas. God, the Son of God, left heaven to become a man. He came to earth, became a man, started as a human baby with ten fingers, ten toes, two eyes, two ears, all the standard equipment that we get as human beings. And this verse teaches us some really important stuff. And a lot of these things we've heard before, but let me just mention them because they're worthwhile. First of all, this verse teaches that Jesus came to be with us. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? That God wants to be with us, but we want to be with the people that we love. My wife just spent 10 days in China on a business trip and just got back on Friday night, and I missed her a lot. And I was happy to see her. In fact, I missed her so much that she wanted to go shopping at the mall yesterday, and I went with her. But that's what love does. And God says, I love you so much, I'm going to come be with you. And that's what Jesus did. He came to be with us, and there's certainly a reason for joy in that, right? He also came to be one of us. He came to be one of us, not just God, but also man. And Hebrews tells us that he came to experience life as we experience, and he went through all of it, the ups and downs, the joys, the sorrows, the temptations even. And so when we struggle, he knows how we feel. And so there's encouragement that we could take from the fact that Jesus became a man because when we're struggling, he knows exactly what we're going through. And whatever it is that's weighing heavy on you this morning, He gets that because He came to be one of us. He also came to die for our sins. Since man had sinned, man had to die for his sin. And so Jesus came to be the substitute as man to die on a cross for man's sin. And all of these points are true, and we hear these mentioned from Christmas to Christmas to Christmas, but there's a lot more here in this verse, that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And so I want to look at those things this morning, and I think they can help us find joy. And so we're going to go on a little bit of a journey. You're going to have to stick with me. I don't think it'll be hard to follow. But when we get to the end, we're going to say, all of this is why we can have joy in our stories. So here's the point, point. the next point. Jesus came to endorse humanness. Or Jesus came to fit with our movie clip here. He came to say that life and being human is indeed wonderful. It's a good thing. In fact, it's so much of a good thing Jesus says, I'm going to go become that. And he made the statement that being human is a good thing. It's not the first time that had been said. You can go back into Genesis chapter 1, verse number 31. All through the creation story, God's been creating things, and He steps back and says, oh, that's good. And then He creates man in the last day of creation, and He steps back from the story and He says, oh, that's very good. And from the very beginning, God has said, this human life thing, It's a good thing. It's a great thing. In fact, it was the triumph of creation. And for us sitting here today, the fact that you are a human is like the greatest gift that God could give you. You're not a dog. You're not a plant. You're a human. And Jesus came to endorse humanness and to say it's a good thing. And he put a stamp of approval on humanity by becoming a man and by taking on flesh. Now that's important. The phrase there, Jesus became flesh, it uses a Greek word, sarx is the word, and it literally means flesh, like this stuff that's covering our bones. And it's making this point that he actually took on a body. And that's important to us as well. So the Pastors could read this, and the Word, talking about Jesus Christ, took on a body, or was given a body. Now, why does that matter? And this where you stick with me a little bit here this morning. Our bodies define who we are as humans, and obviously we can't be a human without our body. It's pretty hard. And that's super important to us. But being human also means that we have a soul. And so both of these things are going on at the same time. We're more than just bodies. Bodies are who I am materially. My soul is who I am immaterially. And so we say body, sometimes we say soul and spirit. But we are both of these things at the same time. And both of these things are totally important to who we are as people or who we are as humans. I've read this quote before, and it's been attributed to C.S. Lewis, and it goes like this. We don't have a soul. We are souls. We just happen to have a body. Now, first of all, there's no proof that C.S. Lewis ever said that quote. Secondly, it's a good thing, because that is not a true statement. We don't have a soul. We are souls. We happen to have a body. No, the truth is... We are bodies and we are souls at the same time. And they are somehow merged together. And so we could say it this way, we are ensouled bodies, or you could say it this way, we are embodied souls. But we are both of these things at the same time, but both of these things are necessary for us to be a person, And this matters because in our culture today, we are dealing with a type of what we call dualism. And it teaches this, that the body and the soul are two separate things. And that may not sound like a big deal, but it matters because of a lot of things that we see going on in society, because we hear things like this, well, the body is merely the place where I live. It's connected to me, and yet it's separate. And so that means that I can use my body however I want or abuse it or misuse it or even despise it as I please because it's not me. And so the body just becomes a tool and the body gets misused and we see people get into all kinds of different things in our culture that you're like, how do they do that? Well, they do that because they separate it out. Well, this isn't me. That's just what I did. Over here. And a lot of things even in the moral world, well I can go off and do this, I can live this way. Because it's just my body. Well, no, they're connected. We also hear it this way, that I can have a body and be human and still not be a person. And where we're seeing this is in our, in in the battle for the unborn. It used to be that we said, well, you know, when does life begin? That's not an argument anymore. Uh, Now even science and everybody believes that life begins at conception or humanness begins at conception, but personhood begins at another time. And so the body over here, the soul, the person over here, and we see that the argument has changed. But if we really understand what the Bible is teaching here, when we come together as body and soul, is we know that both body, flesh, humanity, personhood, all of that takes place in that moment. And so Jesus comes to endorse humanness. And he puts his stamp of approval on being human and says, you know what, you're human, and that is an awesome, incredible gift. And as we sit here this morning, even as we struggle with joy, we need to take some comfort in the fact that God has given us that gift. And to George Bailey, who says, I wish I'd never been born, we need to say, whoa, there's nothing better that could have happened than for you to be born. But not only did Jesus endorse humanness, he actually came to reveal humanness. Man was created perfect, not infinite, so he had limitations, but he was still without sin. He was complete and he was whole. And then sin came and distorted our humanity in every way. And we get that when we talk about death, but it's, it's everything along the path to death as well. And we still retain the image of God, but it is tarnished. And we're certainly not living life, and we're certainly not the human's, that Adam and Eve were created to be. And so when Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't stop becoming human or stop being human. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they did become less human. And so have we. We are less human than what we were meant to be. And sin has robbed us of an element of our humanness. But when Jesus came, he wasn't affected by that sin. And so he was the ultimate human, like us and yet different from us in that we are affected by the sin. He was not affected by his sin. So usually we say, well, you need to look at Jesus because when you look at Jesus, it'll tell you what God's like. That's true. But we also need to look at Jesus because when we look at Jesus, we discover what we're supposed to be like. Two, as humans. Let me read you a quote. You can read with me, I think. Here it is. In Jesus' life, he demonstrates a powerful humanity. Humanity as it was intended to be expressed and lived. It goes on. And in his resurrection, he calls us into a life of wholeness as a participant in and instruments of a new creation. But this first part, in Jesus' life, he demonstrates a powerful humanity, humanity as it was intended to be expressed and lived. And so when we look at the life of Christ, we can say, well, that's what it means to be not just like God, but that's what it means to be fully and completely human. Now usually when we say that we go in the direction of God's or or Jesus's moral character or uh, different things that he did for instance like Jesus was kind so we should be kind too. And if we'll be kind we'll be more human as far as what humans were intended to be. We actually talked about that last week and that's a true statement. As we become more kind, we become more like we were created to be and we experience joy in the process. Or we'll say things like, well, Jesus had ultimate integrity, so we need to have integrity too. Or Jesus prayed, so so we should pray too. And if we'll do those things, we'll be more spiritual, but we'll also be more human. Because that's what humans were created to do in the first place, and Jesus reveals that. But there's a lot more to the story. Because we're shown not just how Jesus did some of these things, we're actually shown in the Scripture how Jesus actually lived. And so we can copy these things ourselves. Jesus was extremely relational. In fact, the stories of the Gospels are what? The stories of basically of him interacting with other people. And so if we want to enjoy being human like we were created to enjoy it, relationships are going to be a key part of that. And we can actually go dive into the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and say, hey, how did Jesus relate to people as I copy those things? I'm going to be more human. I'm actually going to enjoy life more as I was created to be. Jesus was emotional. And We see this, how we respond to different things. From anger in the temple to, to grief at the, at the graveside of Lazarus. And if we want to be fully human and to be like Jesus, well, emotions are going to be part of the story. Now, obviously they have to be, you know, held in check and used appropriately. But we see this in how Jesus lived. How about vulnerability? Do you ever think about the fact that Jesus as a man was vulnerable? We were created to be vulnerable. Adam and Eve, there was nothing between them. It was only when they sinned that they, they needed to cover up and build walls because they were okay with being seen for who they were. Jesus was actually okay to be seen in his humanity, in his vulnerability. Think with me. When he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he say to his disciples? Hey, guys, I'm having a hard time here. My soul, it's it's so heavy, I, it's like unto death. Could Could you pray with me? And there was an, a vulnerability in that moment that was entirely human and entirely appropriate. And so we can look at the story and the life of Jesus and see how he revealed what it means to be human. He was constantly growing and learning. Luke 2.52 tells us that he, he grew in wisdom and knowledge. He was incredibly aware of what's going on. He was physically engaged, and, and you see him going to parties and, and, and eating and drinking, and, and he was criticized for that. But he lived life as a human, and he lived life in his humanity to give us an example of how to live. Now, there's nothing ex- you know, exhaustive about that list at all. It's just this idea that sometimes I think we miss some of what Jesus was trying to teach us. Here's how to live, not just in, you know, following these moral teachings, but here's how to live as a human. Here's how to live as a man. Here's how to live as a woman. Just do these things. They're all part of the human experience. And as we do these things, we can be more fully alive. And so he came to reveal true humanness, and he invites us to experience it, to be fully human. That's his invitation to us. What does that mean? Well, it means to be alive with the breath of God. To be engaged with the people around us. To drink in the beauty of creation. To see, to hear, to feel, to taste, to smell, to engage. Even at the risk of hurt or harm or disappointment. It means to feel rejection and grief, but also to feel love and joy. Being fully human means to run and to laugh and to play and to sing. It means to sit down at a hearty dinner or to enjoy a good story or to take a nap or a hike, to explore, to grow, to win and to lose, to step boldly into each and every day with full anticipation, to breathe in and to breathe out that breath of life, to live out what God intended for each of us. And when Jesus came and chose to be a man, he said, yes, this is it. This life thing is the ultimate. Let's live it fully human. And then Jesus also came to restore humanness. In Jesus' life, this quote that we looked at earlier, in Jesus' life, he demonstrates a powerful humanity, humanity as it was intended to be experienced to live. It says this, in his resurrection... He called us into a life of wholeness as a participant in and instruments of a new creation. And I want us to think about this resurrection for just a minute. Because we talk about the fact that Jesus came as a baby. He came to go to the cross to die for man's sin. We already mentioned that. But he also came to rise from the dead as a human. Here's why that matters. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, it wasn't just to provide physical evidence that death had been defeated. It wasn't so that he could show up again in the world and say, see, they killed me, but I'm back. That was part of it. And it was important that he be seen after the resurrection. And we even talk about that. Paul talks about that in Corinthians, all the different times when he was seen alive. But it was also to make a statement That physical death would not be the end of our stories. That there is a resurrection that comes, and when the resurrection comes, we can experience that. But get this, when we are resurrected, it's our bodies that are resurrected. And we, again, live out this human life. Actually, for all of eternity. Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 4. And if you can, I'd invite you to turn here. First Thessalonians 4, he talks about this aspect of the, of the resurrection. He says in First Thessalonians 4.13, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. So we want you to know what's going on with those who've already passed away. We don't want you to grieve like the rest of mankind who don't have hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. And so just to explain what this is talking about, Jesus died, rose again, went up into heaven, and someday he is coming back. We call this season Advent. We don't call it, and that means that Jesus is coming not that Jesus has come, but that he is actually coming. And Christmas is the promise that if he came once, he'll come a second time. And so Paul is talking about this second time that hasn't happened yet, but this second time when Jesus is going to come. And he says, we believe that God will bring, Jesus, uh, will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. So Jesus is going to bring back everybody who's as a Christ follower, has passed away. So they have gone to be with him in heaven, and they're going to come back with him. Okay, We keep reading there. In verse number 15, it tells us, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that those who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And and just to make it simple, he's saying now when Jesus comes back that second time, there will be some who are alive, and there's a different set of rules for them. But for everybody who has died before, you know, before Jesus comes back, and that's everybody up to this point, they're going to come back with him. And then we get to number verse number 16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And then notice this next phrase and the dead in Christ will rise first. Is that confusing anybody? I thought we were coming back with Jesus, and all of a sudden now we're rising from the dead. What's going on? Well, here's what happens when we die. We're bodies and souls united, and death is the separation of that. And the soul is taken to heaven to be with Jesus, and the body is actually put into the grave. And that's how it is going right now. Those who died are with Jesus, but their bodies are in the grave. And then Jesus is going to come back. And you know what happens? We're reunited. And our souls and our bodies are back together again forever. And that's what happened at the resurrection Jesus' body and soul was reunited and it will be that way forever too. When Jesus chose to become a man, it wasn't just for this one little adventure trip to earth for 33 years. It was forever. And we will live with Jesus forever in our human bodies. And he will too. That's a pretty incredible thing, isn't it? And so Jesus came to restore us as humans and to get rid of that sin element that drags us down and that sucks the joy right out of us. We won't be wispy, shapeless, angelic spirits that float around on clouds in heaven. We'll be human flesh just like we are now. And Revelation 21 tells us that the new heaven and the new earth come down and that's where we live. And God comes down to dwell with us. But we'll live in these bodies. But you know, we don't have to wait till then. That resurrection started things in process. And the joy that we'll experience someday, we can already be enjoying now. And the being fully human that we'll eventually experience, we can still, we can now experience some of those things. And if we understand that, it brings us to this place of joy. See, Jesus came to endorse humanness. Life is a wonderful thing. And God meant for it to be a wonderful thing. And the fact that you're here now is a wonderful thing. And the fact that you woke up this morning is a wonderful thing. And not only is it a wonderful thing, it's got a bonus attached to it. That you get to live this incredible life as you. Totally unique and different from everybody else. And so you get to experience this world as God created for you and you get to experience that relationship that God wants with you as a unique individual. What a wonderful thing. Life is incredible, isn't it? And Jesus chose to take on humanness to say, not only are you loved by God, but you're also valued by God. And to say, God wants what's best for you. So he came to endorse humanness. He also came to reveal humanness. And I would say this to actually encourage it, where we look at life and say, this is a great thing. I want to live it. And I want to live it well. And how do I live it well? Well, I follow God's directions and I follow Jesus' examples. That doesn't mean there won't be hurts and disappointment and losses and all those things along the way. There will be. But as we go through those times, we can still lean into the fact that this is a wonderful gift that we have been given. And we can accept that invitation from God to live life as fully human. And then Jesus came to restore life. Isn't that interesting? Jesus didn't just come to save our souls. He came to save our bodies too from the penalty and the effects of sin and death. And that's not yet. That's still coming, but that's the restoration that Jesus offers to us. But even while we wait for that, we wait with hope that, yes, there will be a resurrection. But we also wait with hope because we have a resurrected Jesus already, who is part of our stories, who is in the present giving us hope and giving us help and giving us his Holy Spirit. So we can live with the promise of a better future. Someday, someday it's all going to be perfect. So maybe you came in this morning, you're kind of dragging and a little bit short on joy. I hope that in this story of Christmas that Jesus became a human gives you some hope. And that you might be encouraged to grab a hold of your humanness and to grab a hold of this thing called life, and that you would find the joy in it. Clarence! Clarence! Help me, Clarence! Get me back! Get me back! I don't care what happens to me! Get me back to my wife and kids. Help me, Clarence, please, please. I want to live again. I want to live again. I want to live again. Please, God, let me live again. here, Bert, or I'll hit you again. Get out! What the Sam Hill are you yelling for, George? You... George. Bert, do you know me? Know you? Huh. You kidding? I've been looking all over town trying to find you. I saw your car piled into that tree down there and I thought maybe you... Hey, your mouth's bleeding. Are you sure you're all right? What you... And that little clip is your invitation. And maybe it's the request that you need to make to guide yourself. Did you hear him say, God, I want to live again. And we're all here and we're all here as humans. And sometimes, though, I think we've let go of that. And we've let all the cares and distractions and the weights and the worries and all the hurts and the harms and all the things that we go down. And we get so pulled down and dragged down by life. And Jesus comes at Christmas and says, I'll be a human too, because it's an awesome thing. And I want you to experience the joy that it was supposed to be from the start. And that's his invitation to us this morning.